Welcome back, everybody. Katie. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm okay. Scale of one to five. Chili. <laughs> Scale of one to five is chili. I was reading this week. This is not what we uh, planned to talk about, but I'm I'm reading one of uh, Jonathan Haidt, who wrote The Coddling of the American Mind, which I love. He wrote a book called The Righteous Mind. And by the way, I still can't remember if his name is Haidt or Haidt, mm. but whatever. Can't help you. So he was talking about um, the metaphor in the brain of the elephant and the rider mm-hmm. that like uh, yep. yeah, basically like sort of instinct and intuition is the elephant and yep. then the rider is our cognition, which is trying to make sense of what the elephant is doing all the time. Correct. And control it and drive it. And, right. Yeah. Meanwhile, the elephant's like, no, I'm going to go over there now. Yeah. <laughs> which I, I, I'm enjoying trying to figure out like how that makes sense in my own life and, and with the stuff that we do, of course. Yeah. And I kind of like, and I don't know because I don't know specifically his analogy with that. Elephants are pretty smart, mm, a right. lot smarter than we give them credit for, but right. it is sort of the power with which they go forward and do their thing when they want to do their thing, mm-hmm. which I think the analogy is our emotional processing limbic system, mm-hmm. lower parts of the brain, and that prefrontal cortex is the writer. But it gives credit instead of the limbic system or our emotional processing systems needing to be something that can be controlled all the time the respect of its power and understanding that sometimes we have to go with it mm-hmm. and sometimes we control and write the point of this book is like how people get so divided about politics and religion and that oh, Lord, we, we're not going there well that no we're not but i mean <laughs> that the issue is we have these snap judgments and then we try to apply reasoning to why we feel of a course. certain way. Mm-hmm. And then that's where we get really rigid. It's like, well, I believe this because you, we can't admit that it's just a gut feeling. And the gut snap judgment feeling being sort of an emotional trigger right. in that early wiring, which I'm now calling and I have not been giving credit, not that I've been taking um, credit for it, but I've not been citing appropriately this lovely um, tweet I saw on Twitter, this guy talking about um, belief systems, again, that early wiring and triggering that happens from an emotional level that we lay down with our um, child brains, but he calls it our BS, or our belief system because mm. they are so often one and the same, just not really well-reasoned mm-hmm. ways or perspectives to look at the world belief systems. Mm. So yes, understanding that that is what's getting triggered. Yeah. That that's what's governing a lot. Yes. Of it. And then we take, and then because we're constantly looking for validation, we then find all the evidence we can in that confirmation bias from a rational or logical cognitive perspective too. Right. Right. Yeah. It's like, it's, yeah. It's that uh, you put rational in quotes, which nobody could see, but (laughs) that's exactly right. The idea that we are then trying to convince ourselves of how higher plane we are. Yeah. Like, well, I'm really smart. And so therefore, and or trying to convince ourselves that it, that we're right because it's coming from a place of not being acknowledged or validated. So for example, if I have that gut reaction that somebody is being, somebody's not being straight or -hmm. somebody's not taking accountability for something. And so I'm making that, I'm going to find every piece of evidence I can find to back that up Mm -hmm. from a rational point of view. Mm -hmm. That gets, that 
sways a lot of people politically. Well, I just don't trust this person or they're not taking accountability. When it comes from this place early on of an experience where somebody didn't take accountability and we felt that or somebody not trusting us and it's sort of that deficit there that Mm. gets triggered that then we spend our lives trying to back up with quote, I'm doing it again, (laughs) rational or logical evidence to back that up. Mm -hmm. And it's really an emotional belief. Yeah. Which is it's, it speaks to how you can't reason your way into love, for example. Right. Like you can't talk yourself into like, oh, this person's right for me, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It's really going to be those first judgments in whatever way. Kind of. <laughs> Do we really want to get derailed here? Because I have a lot. Let's not get too derailed. Okay, but that get... may be a really good mm-hmm. content subject at some well, point. I just mean that that's the. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back to that. Yeah. Let's dig into a win or a loss from your world. And then we're going to uh, we're going to talk about something in the news. For segment two, and then oh, if we have time, we'll get to a question. Win or loss first for you? Um, I'm going to go with a win. Okay. And it is it has to do with Thomas, my mm-hmm. youngest, who took a mental health day on Tuesday. Okay. Um, after Halloween, which again I think I've talked about or alluded to on here, both of my kiddos. Um, Wired neurologically in ways that are different um, and that things that often don't seem hard are hard or sneak up on us as being difficult to manage. And so Halloween is a shit show Mm -hmm. for any kid, really, Mm -hmm. but particularly for kids who do better with routine Mm -hmm. and not a shit ton of candy and late night and, you know, half days and parades and then boom, right into the work week or school week, particularly for them this year. Anyway, he was understandably a mess. The next day. And one thing that both John and I are really trying a lot harder to come to grips with or rewire is this sense of, again, another BS or belief system that resilience, toughness, fight through the block. And that comes from general hardwiring for all of us being a species who's had to survive. Mm-hmm. And so we, I think, absolutely reinforce that line of thinking. To also specifically my early experiences with, you know, parents who were came from farming or poverty or fight through the block. That was my dad's favorite mm-hmm. expression. And so this toughness, we don't want to be weak. We don't want to be complacent. That's how you survive in this world and understandably. So it's a real kind of gut fear instinct belief that comes up for both John and I are, are they trying to get out of something or if we don't push them hard enough they're not going to learn the skills they need to to get through tough times. And then you look at what we all complain about having a hard time doing, self-care, drawing boundaries, paying attention to when we're burned out or when things have gone too far. It comes from this overemphasis on, I got to be tough. I got to be suffering. I've got to be able to get through things that are hard. And it's this ignoring of getting through hard things is also about having the trust or confidence in yourself that you can do that. And a piece of that that I think is so important is understanding, is this a limit I need to respect? Is this a time when I need to kind of push beyond that and challenge myself? And kids can't do that. That's our job as parents, balancing that. I'm going to push them a little harder past their comfort zone, but also I'm going to let them 
understand and start respecting, oh my gosh, maybe this feels too much. And it's not a bad thing to say, I feel overwhelmed. I don't know that I can do this today. I need to do something else in terms of regulating and and taking care of myself. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to do it. I mean, again, I always push for it. Just get through it. Just get through it. Because you also have the reinforcement of getting through hard things mm-hmm. until or unless it's too hard. And then you're just experiencing failure. And again, with my kids, it's I, I feel like it's even trickier because things that sh- feel like they, again, quotes, <laughs> I'm doing a lot of quotes today, should be hard. Social stuff or going to school the next day on Halloween are is a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. So we had a self-care day where he did. Okay. And um, it was, it was so much of just, I think him knowing that I was trusting him in saying this feels too hard to do today. Mm-hmm. And so that was a win because I feel like it was a win because I did a helped, right. helped him through that. He experienced regulation, experienced that people were trusting him, that mm-hmm. it wasn't a bad thing. He wasn't making these these immediate associations that I certainly and I think a lot of people struggle with of, oh, if I'm taking care of myself, that somehow means I'm you know, not getting done what I need to do or it's luxurious or it's lazy or I'm vulnerable or it's complacent, whatever, right. nonproductive. Um, and then he was ready to go the next day. Mm-hmm. So that was my win. Okay. So how do you square the fact that you and John are both like the most hyper successful people in the world uh-huh. with your disdain well, you. for your own <laughs> <laughs> upbringing. That's so tricky, isn't it? And it gets down to how we are defining success. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where a lot of us get tripped up because right. absolutely in this world, you are reinforced for what? Working insanely hard, putting yourself last, whether it's socially, whether it's work wise. And often not recognizing that self-care or that trust in yourself, whether it's judgment about how I'm feeling or what's going on for me or my perspective on a situation. Mm -hmm. No, figure out what needs to get done, how I need to meet these expectations that are external to me and do it well. And that gets you through school really well. It gets you through a lot of jobs, et cetera. Here's my quotes again. Success. You're, in the world, yeah. right? And in different areas of the world. However, we've both struggled with workaholicism. Mm-hmm. Did I say that right? I don't even know. <laughs> workaholism? Yeah. Uh, burnout, right? And sort mm-hmm. of the, the mental stress and strain that you can't escape with that as your emphasis in functioning. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's easy to say, oh, okay, well, this has gone well for me and this has gone well for me. So why would I look and change? Well, I'm anxious all the time or, well, I'm, I'm getting pretty down on myself or I'm just too tired to do something that I think I need to do or what impact is this having on my kids? Mm-hmm. And so despite quote unquote success, as the external world would say, I think a lot of success is in how grounded, happy, present we are all right yeah i mean it, it's sort of a it's sort of a debate between western success and eastern success or something like that that's maybe a bit uh, over generalizing i think so and again it's, it's this belief system that we have to suffer mm-hmm. in order to be strong and resilient and successful right and that doesn't mean that it's not about them not being able to do hard things. We can do hard things when we're paying attention to what we need for ourselves. Mm-hmm. I'm rested. I'm trusting my instincts. I am drawing boundaries where I need to. I mean, that's a biggie. Mm-hmm. This lack of boundaries. Right. It's somewhat 
what we're all optimizing for is the question, right? Are you optimizing for future Viking? Right. Not Minnesota Viking, but uh, rampaging, exploring Viking. Or are you optimizing for more of a live and let live existence? Oh, kind of. Okay. Tell me more. Because I think, again, it's not about, we're not saying we're not building the skills we need to to be tough, to mm-hmm. be resilient. Resilience requires trust in ourselves. And mm-hmm. how do we get trust in ourselves? We experience trust from people outside of us that we, we, we can make some judgment calls. We can pay attention to these things. And I think just because some people historically have been better at suffering, <laughs> better at managing suffering or turning suffering into productivity mm-hmm. at what cost if we're really being honest. It doesn't take suffering. It doesn't take ignoring our self-care needs. It doesn't take erasing all boundaries and doing whatever the external world needs us to do all the time. I think it, where I get tricked I knew this would be a tough, this is a trigger for you too, because you come from that same farm, fight through the block, build resiliency through Mm -hmm. suffering. And suffering may be a really tough term, but. Well, when it comes to this, the question of trusting yourself or Mm -hmm. or knowing, having self-confidence, right? Some of that is because of the capacity for getting through historically difficult times. And how that leads you to then realize, well, this isn't so bad. Absolutely. And so nobody's saying you're not going to stop getting through difficult times. It's understanding that also on the other end of that spectrum, you can't get through difficult times and experience that on the other side if there's not this foundational trust that you can do it. And I think Mm -hmm. that's the recognition of it's too much for me right now, or this is the cost it's taking, or is it really, I'm not getting through this. It, I, I am shoring up how I need to shore up or paying attention to some things I need to in terms of limits or something that's hard or something that I don't need to push myself in Mm -hmm. pleasing other people or meeting an external expectation that maybe just doesn't fit for me. Except that we're such, we're all such bad judges of our own state. And a part of that that is because nobody gave us permission early on. Well, I, but I mean that and a that lot of the job of a coach, for example, and not just a sports coach, but a, a coach, a teacher, is to push you past what you think you can do. Correct. And that's, that's the one side of the scale, right. right? And this is the trick with parenting and coaching and everything. Mm-hmm. When do I do that? But also when do I respect and 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 help somebody build trust in this sense of this doesn't, this is too much, this doesn't feel right right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just don't know, looking back, that I would have, that anybody should have trusted me to make that judgment. Because I would say, like, yeah, I don't feel like doing this a lot. And, and then it's then, like, why? Let's look, at, let's look at that. Well, because things are difficult. I was watching, uh, I'm really liking Welcome to Wrexham, which is uh, Ryan Reynolds and Rob yes, McElhenney by yes, a, yes, fo- yes. a soccer team in uh, Wales. And there's a scene where the goalkeeper has gotten hurt and he's watching with the two of them from the box and they both say, Oh man, don't you want to be out there? And he of course says, yeah, man, it's terrible being up here, but I can remember lots and lots of times in my sports career when I was pleased to not have to go play the game because it was the easy way out, right? If I was hurt or sick or something like that, but overcoming that sensation, cause your, your brain is screaming, 
you shouldn't go do this. This is going to be hard. You're going to have to play in front of 14,000 people. But creating those systems for yourself or from other people from the outside where you just do it is what breeds that resilience. When everything in your body is saying, going before you go out to give a speech, before you act, you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do this. So that is a very, it's an untrustworthy uh, emotion. Because we're going to have that all the time. I don't want to go on this date. It's going to be scary. Like whatever it is. Like if you, if we. Oh, so that's not what I'm saying. It's not about the avoidance of it, but it's about understanding where this resistance is coming from. And if it's, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm nervous. Okay. I'm really nervous right now. It's not about avoiding that. It's about where's this discomfort coming from? Mm -hmm. And is this something that's worth pushing through in that case? Most, I think the decision for most people in terms of a date or if my career is based on me getting out there and playing basketball or my education success, et cetera, is this is something that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. And, hey, this feels uncomfortable for these reasons, that these are reasons that either are outside of something that is is something that I can do or something that I need to do, if that makes sense. No, it does not. <laughs> Say it again. <laughs> So I think a piece of it is understanding that it, why am I doing this? Why does it feel uncomfortable? And yeah, it's hard for all young people to have that internal sense. But a piece of parenting is trying to help balance and internalize that sense or else we're always pushing ourselves. And again, I think the outcome is what we're talking about differently. So an outcome that is going to put you at a disadvantage in terms of burnout or self-doubt because you, you know, I can tell myself, hey, I'm scared to fly this plane and I can have all the people in the world pushing me to do that. And if that's not something that I'm equipped to do, it's going to end up in feelings of failure, feelings of self-doubt, which then I think make everything that much harder, the mm. resilience piece harder. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's it's the difference of understanding what that outcome is and the why of the pushing. It's not just, oh, things are getting hard. I don't want to do this. Sure. Well, let's let's look at that. Mm-hmm. And if it's just an anxiety piece or if it's, uh, oh, I'm doubting myself right now, that's a, that's a time to be able to push beyond. But I think so much of us have gotten all of the emphasis of there. You push beyond no matter what. You trust whatever the external expectations are, no matter what. We get into this position we are now where we're just burned out and unable to say boundaries are okay. Mm-hmm. Self-care is okay. Yeah, it's, it's uh, yes and no. I, I think that you and I and, and maybe people who are listening to this do struggle with burnout and, and boundaries. But what I see in the world at, at large is a lot of people who are think they're burnt out but they haven't done anything and so that is like their their resilience is effectively negative who are we to say their burnout Mm -hmm. is because they haven't done anything i mean burnout can be from cognitive mental psychological emotional look around and see a lot of resilience i see a lot of complaining um so yes and and you and i could be like at this at this sort of upper level of yes we had childhoods that pushed us um but i would when it comes to i'm watching the construction workers across the street from us if people want to have buildings built 
it means those guys got up at four thirty on a cold morning and started digging a hole. And nobody and like, is saying, no one is saying the answer is to remove discomfort. No mm-hmm. one. I'm not saying that. The answer is not to remove discomfort. But what I'm, the point I'm making though is that we. It seems like we're in two extremes, and so it's it, with with people who are. And this is a little bit of the echo chamber problem with people who are pushing themselves too hard. They do need boundaries and to have self-care. But then there's the other extreme of people who aren't pushing themselves at all. But they also cop to the same language of like, well, I need boundaries. I need self-care. And you're like, no, you need to get out of bed and work. Um, And so that's so it's these two. We're on these two rails. And I think the people over here need, do need the self-care stuff. The people over here need the, you. what's your phrase that your dad said? Block it. Fight through the block. Fight through the block. So it's, it's not that, that everybody needs both more. both of those sides to me come from early experience of not having a, a, an external force that was teaching both sides enough. Mm. And so just because we're emphasizing paying attention to what's mm-hmm. going on for you. And I don't see that as, oh, I can't do everything. I think that's where we immediately go to. If I say, wow, this feels hard, I'm going to pay attention to that. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm not going to do this. It may mean this feels hard because of this and I need to do this mm-hmm. in order for that to happen. Or it may mean this is something I don't need to do. So I'm not going to expend energy doing that, that would take away from energy, which is much more aligned into what I should be doing or need to be doing. I think we come from a different place of at baseline, no one would do anything if not pushed. And I think that's a really commonly shared universal belief system. And that's what drives us from an evolutionary level of, okay, if we sit down and we are not out there in pain, finding the next source of food or where we're going to find shelter, we're, we're going to perish. And I, I think that's why we've swung all the way, many of us, onto this other side of the, the pendulum. I would argue that people who feel like they are overwhelmed or too busy and quote unquote, like you said, are complaining. Again, that's good information too. They probably didn't have a lot of experiences of, like you said, being able to have some discomfort and fight through it. And, or they were put in positions too early on that were too overwhelming and didn't have the skills to get through in a successful manner to experience that. And, and so the understanding and the paying attention to what feels hard is not about, oh, then I'm going to stop, but why it feels hard. All right. My win. It's <laughs> getting through that. <laughs> My win was uh, I've been doing a lot of body work and uh, that has involved. I think some actual rearrangement of my internal organs. We talked last week yeah, or so a few weeks ago about like my rib reappearing. Um, and as a part of this, my uh, gut has not been pleased with me. My GI tract has been a little wrecked by all of this, I think. Um, and the win has been not panicking about that. It's been checking in with like, oh, yep, there's probably a pretty good reason we're, you know, stressing physically that part of my body and also there's a fair amount of like work stress in my life in general so those are probably more contributing factors than oh i'm gonna die of stomach cancer yes in 
two weeks or something, which is where my brain tends to go. Mm-hmm. Right. The catastrophizing things. Okay. And I would argue that you just proved my point that we just spent what? way too long looking at. Okay. So instead of, you could say, instead of just, okay, things are upset here. I'm mm-hmm. going to just ignore this and keep going and keep going and keep going. It mm-hmm. was, okay, wait a minute. Let me look at what the source of this discomfort is. I'm going to trust myself and that there are other reasons for this. I'm going to look through this and find much more internally driven reasons that make sense that aren't just about, I got to push through no matter what. Right. And that's only possible because I've been through this so many other times. And I know now because of experiential learning of like, oh, well, you panicked before about this. That didn't really help. Mm-hmm. So let's. I'm not arguing against experiential learning. <laughs> so that, sometimes so... experiential learning is, oh my gosh, I drew a good boundary here and I didn't push right, beyond but what I needed to. The only way to get that experiential learning is through failure. And so, like, it just there, you do not learn through wins. And this is not just Paul's opinion. It's just how it goes. Right. And so, it's always about pushing beyond and then backing off. And um, so, however, if okay. you only have failure, you never learn that success is possible. Well, duh. Right. But, I mean, so like, you can't only always learn. It's not only failure, it's, 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 it's specifically. It's failure in, in, in specific situations. Yeah, it's failure and then adapting based on that failure. If but, you can. But then even when you have adapted, then you're going to push yourself to the next failure, which allows you to adapt mm-hmm. again. But you also get a lot of information of where you succeed mm-hmm. and how you succeed. I don't think the only way you learn is through failure. And if you only have failure, then you're, not, you're learning learned helplessness. But that's the scientific method. Is learning through failure, right? You set up a hypothesis and you prove it wrong. You don't prove it right. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a really healthy and good thing to sometimes prove things right. But what do you mean? So I could have a perspective of a failure mm-hmm. that is, oh, I am terrible at this. I can never do this. Um, Whoa, that's okay. Or a perspective of, oh, okay, I'm going to learn from this. this. This piece of it makes sense to me. Or mm-hmm. a success of oh, I'm not going to learn anything from this, or I'm going to take this piece of what I did really well and Mm -hmm. understand that I can apply it somewhere else. So experiences, both the behavioral experience of quote unquote succeeding or failing, Mm -hmm. but also our belief system and our perspective behind it is what I meant by that. Hmm. Yeah. I I mean, uh, for an, in an attempt at long-term success, we would take the perspective that we're going to have to fail a bunch along the way. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I'm disagreeing with you there. No disagreement. There's <laughs> going to be failure. Right. Maybe. Or we can look at it as. But in the. Specific, I didn't do that as well as I wanted to. It's not a failure because I learned this. Of my GI tract. If I were given the, the feedback from my, my gut of like something's wrong, mm-hmm. but I didn't have any previous experience. I would say, oh God, like. We're going to have to panic here in some way, right? Mm-hmm, Just maybe physically, yeah. right? Um, but the only way I learn, I have learned to not panic is through panicking and that not being a good strategy. So that yeah, was a that's... failed strategy, right? So I guess you could say, well, you could have your stomach hurt and just know to not Something worry is about off. that. No, and it's not just, about it not worry like about it. Something's pure, off. Pure evolution would tell you, like, if your stomach hurts, 
time to freak out, right? Like that's, we got to take care of that. Mm -hmm. So there's not really any, uh, let's look for evidence for why in that moment, it's just a pure, the sucks feeling. Um, so I think it takes having that happen many times before you're able to learn how to question what's going on. No. Okay. I don't know that we're off. <laughs> what's your loss? <laughs> <laughs> the last 20 minutes. No. Comparison. I've been doing a lot of comparing. Okay. The compare despair cycle. Mm, the compare despair cycle. Yeah, I like as a term. It's despairing. Okay. Always because we never compare in a way that makes us feel better. Do we? Mm, or rarely. I rarely. shouldn't say never. Yeah. And so, even if we do, it's probably going to lead to one of the seven deadly sins of pride. Right. Yeah. Is that one of the seven deadly sins? I don't sins? know. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so what's, give me an example of, of comparison and comparison. Um, again, I think the social media world just um, makes us rife. Um, and we forget that by looking at a snapshot of people who school isn't hard for their kids, social stuff isn't hard for their kids. Um, you know, extra time to be able to travel and to be getting a lot of wins in areas that maybe our family isn't getting wins in at the moment. It's hard. It's the mm -hmm. comparison mm -hmm. and the feeling, oh my gosh, I wish. And it's not necessarily that somebody's doing it better. I think the comparison for me often is, oh, I wish, I wish things weren't as difficult in these, as it, as it doesn't seem to be as difficult for other people. Mm -hmm. So you're comparing yourself to other people that are in your same straits. Yeah. And that's, and that's a, that's a interesting thing to focus on for a minute, seemingly mm. in our same, right? Mm -hmm. We have no idea, right. but you would say from an outside, very, you know, Passover Eagles eye mm -hmm. perspective. Yeah. Same. Right. Same cohort. Okay. But nothing is the same. Sure. But that's so, what you forget. So give me an example of this. Yeah. So posting wins of children excelling at school, excelling socially. Mm -hmm. So it, it seems like the things the, are easier. There's, there's, there's some elements that just, um, right. So you don't have to be thought through or worried about or processed or. <laughs> so how, how are you combating the attachment to your children's behavior as a judgment on you? No judgment on me. Mm -hmm. Well, no, I'm saying like if you're comparing, but you're not comparing directly person to person. You're sort of comparing like. It's the comparing of the ease with mm -hmm. which it seems others mm -hmm. are flowing through life and their happy <laughs> family. Ah, right. Um, prescription medicine commercial <laughs> running through fields. Right. Right. Pictures of homecoming dates versus having to show up to homecoming by themselves or big groups of friends or mm -hmm. um, academic achievements that probably. Right. But it sounds like from a from across the table that this this has so much to do with something you can't control, which is your children. Can't control behavior. any of it. Can't control any of it. And it's not about wanting my children to be there. It's just about how, how the the feeling of 
wow, to not have to worry for your children mm-hmm. in these extra realms that seem pretty straightforward, that were certainly straight, more straightforward for me in many ways, um, and that I'm seeing or perceiving as as not issues for other people. Mm. Wow, how nice to just celebrate a, you know, a win of a team or a college admission or a homecoming dance. Mm-hmm. So what would you tell somebody that came into your office with this with feeling? This, yeah. this is just the ex, this is where your work has to go. Mm-hmm. And again, A, can I know? I can't know that other people aren't struggling with stuff. We all do tend to to post our best selves online. And so it's reminding that. And B, oh my gosh, let's look at the other side. Things could be harder. Even more things could be harder to get through a right. day. How is how is this teaching me about you know how has mm. my whole worldview on so many things been shifted because of these? Where are you seeing this specifically? Struggles. The our struggles? No, where are you seeing the the uh, Cleaver family <laughs> specifically? <laughs> and again, it's not even the Cleaver family. It's just I oh my gosh, it's hard to explain. But I mean, online. Are you seeing, so okay, so what could you do to you don't go that? online? Like right. I don't go online. Like okay. I know that's a boundary <laughs> issue again. Yeah, um, that helps a lot, and I rarely do as it is. Mm-hmm. And then when I find myself on there, I, I then remember really quickly why I'm not on there very often. Mm-hmm. So, so is there? Do you have a strategy in place? The holidays are coming. We talked last year about your about what goes through your brain as far as perfect holidays, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Do you have a strategy for how to mitigate that? In terms of the comparison? Yeah. Or even just staying offline. Yeah. Staying offline. (laughs) But what is the strategy beyond? I I mean, this is like when when I coach people and they're like, no, I need to get up earlier. And you're like, great. But how's that going to happen? It ha- it, but it, I guess where I go is it happens for me 97% of the time, but mm. my loss this week is that 3% it didn't happen because mm. I had to go on and respond to a message from someone else. So either, again, intentionally look this one person who that's the only way they're contacting me. Hey, contact me somewhere else, I guess, to take care of the 3% of the time that I'm miserable being okay. online. Yeah. Does that so make the, sense? Yes. Yeah, so there's the... So-, so I don't need to necessarily problem solve this. It's just this, oh yeah, remembering. Mm. What happens when you're not as vigilant? Yeah, that there's a big but we're downside. always not going to be vigilant right. 100% of the time. There's no upside to non-vigilance. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, impo- it's an impossible state mm-hmm. to be chronically and pervasively vigilant. And in fact, it's not good for us physiologically. Correct. Let's get into segment two. We've belabored our wins and losses. I'm sorry, you didn't get to <sighs> Long, do your loss. No, it's quite all right. We'll, we have, there have been plenty of losses. Um, okay, so I was sent a piece of writing that I think has uh, some applicability to some of our listeners, and that has to do with the piece of writing is called How to Avoid the Endless Workday. And here's yeah. a snippet. This is, from, uh, this is by a, a Gallup piece. Pre-COVID, most employees would wake up, get ready for work, eat breakfast, and walk, drive, or take public transportation to work. While some people might have worked during their commute, most people probably enjoyed some downtime by listening to their favorite music or audiobook or catching up with friends or family. This personal time may have given them a break from home or work pressures for at least a short while. For a good portion of the workforce who are now remote, life without a commute has changed. These remote workers might wake up to their smartphone, smartphone's alarm 
start responding to emails as they throw on casual clothing or a more appropriate business top half, <laughs> grab breakfast on their way to their home office where they switch to their laptops to keep working. What to do? What to do? Thoughts. What are your thoughts? <laughs> I feel like since I robbed you of your loss, I no. need to let you go first. <laughs> I can always be robbed of a loss. <laughs> boundaries. Yeah, boundaries. And also, I think it's we talked about the uh, the frog boiling a few episodes ago. It's uh, paying attention to the feedback you get from other people regarding your state of mind. Um, because I think people feel like, no, I'm doing okay. So it does require first the awareness piece, as you would say, recognizing this isn't serving me well to be in a constant morass of neither working nor relaxing, just doing it all at once. Um, but that's hard to recognize without external feedback. It's really hard to just, just decide one day like, oh, I'm not doing so great. Particularly when we were young and never had the opportunity <laughs> to monitor our internal experiences of what's right. going right and wrong. Right. Except that, <laughs> do you know that the reason that true AI could never happen is because all of our ability to understand our personality has to do with external uh, feedback. Like there, is no, you, there is no self without other people's judgment. You cannot, you, you could not exist as a being without taking in all this feedback all the time of like, this is what works, what doesn't work. Just like constant, constant, constant. And mm -hmm. I think something true is true. Something similar is true here where if you're just cloistered and nobody's actually that cloistered, this is sort of an extreme example. It's really hard to notice that you're not doing well. And that's what I'm seeing from a lot of people I have in my apartment complex. I'm living in kind of this experiment of a, a whole bunch of people who have sales jobs and they're remote workers and they're it, it's fascinating watching them come down to the gym with their headphones on they don't make eye contact with anybody else and you don't need to be gifted at uh you don't need to take any surveys to know these people aren't doing well hmm. like it, it's just it's just evident um they're kind of skittish and and uh, and not able to communicate with other people, that doesn't seem like a real recipe for success, but they haven't recognized it yet. And so I think part of the issue here is that it's not just strategies for how to mitigate it. I keep saying the word mitigate. It's how do we even get people to be aware of what's going on? And I don't know that answer other than to ask questions and, and get back to people paying attention to like what their peers are telling them about them. Okay. <laughs> what do can you I, think? Can I disagree? Of course. <laughs> Come on. Okay. I, it, so you think I, people I are doing well? I <laughs> You're like, yeah, no, they're doing great. These people here. are okay, my flourishing. First, my first point of contention is yes. Early on when we are developing all of mm -hmm. our information about who we are comes from external sources, which is the problem for most of us, or which is why things go wrong, even in the best of early experiences, because even in the best of early experiences, there's going to be, it's impossible to truly know somebody else's internal experience 
and again, from parenting particularly hard to regulate ourselves when our children are dysregulated. So we act in unintentionally invalidating ways of no, don't feel like this. No, don't do this. This means that. And we we internalize all of this information, right, wrong, and in between. But ideally, in a developmental process, is we take that external information and we take external information that is is consistent or accurate with to as much as it possibly can be internally what our experience is. And then we understand more and more and more who we are internally and rely less and less on external input there. Ideally, right? Throughout our lives, we're always going to be susceptible to external information coming in. It helps a lot, but I think most people, if if the trajectory goes well, you have a good sense of internal awareness. And oftentimes, a lot of our suffering or dysfunction comes from this overemphasis on external information coming in that we need to change our behavior, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, just ideally, or mm-hmm. in in that ideal state. So I just I, I just want to tweak that. Perspective. I'm not saying no, we can't have external information coming in, but I don't think that's the only way. And it can't be the only way we have a true sense of who we are, because I think that leads to misery and dysfunction, particularly when it doesn't add up to our internal experience of something. Mm. So, yes, a lot of people don't have a ton of awareness. And I would say if they don't think they're not doing well, oh, well. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, if they are not feeling the anxiety, if they're not feeling the depression, those are our, our cues, our emotional cues, or if they're not bothered by whatever behavior they're doing in their life. Oh, well. Except that it leads to the breakdown of society. Oh, my God. I can't even go there. I can't <laughs> even go there. Right. What am, What can I do? So what can I do if I'm feeling stressed or depressed or I'm not getting done what I need to in this very real situation for so many people? People, because what this has done is this working from home, this erasure of boundaries. And we talk about all the time, the external scaffolding that reminds us again, that's that external reminder or cue of, oh, okay, time to take a break here. I don't have to be on all the time. It's very similar to what we talked about, I think a couple of weeks ago about the constant information coming in, particularly for young people. There's no turning off of that. And we are not great at that, particularly young, mm-hmm. but clearly many of us even older are having a hard time with that as well. And so it is saying, okay, this boundary doesn't exist anymore. I'm going to create that in my life. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's one thing to understand the behavioral response to this. Okay, I'm not going to turn on email until... You know, eight o'clock, I'm going to take a break at lunch and go outside. I'm going to force myself to stop work at five. Mm-hmm. All of those behavioral strategies to create these boundaries if they're no longer naturally in our life. However, as we know, that's not enough. You, we also have to look at why it feels hard to not turn on email or not check email until eight o'clock. What beliefs? I'm going to let somebody down. I'm being unreliable. It's my job. It's my duty. To show up all the time and be reliable and omnipresent. And that's even the harder work there. Uh, yeah. The, I think the main problem I see in what is used as counsel is that no one wants to just say the truth, which is you got to figure out how to get back to the old days in some way. For some people. Yes. Which people are doing well. 
I, I think a lot of people are doing well, right? A lot, of people, a lot of people are not. I don't know. I mean, a big piece of it is my, I am not going to assume other people aren't doing well but, until people say I'm not doing well. What the, you, how does that serve ha- me? Well, it's not about whether it serves you. We're, we're, we are I'm in not a podcast help trying to help people. <laughs> It's right. not just about and who whether is you're listening doing to well. our podcast. People who want to want to have that information feel mm-hmm. like they need more information in their lives. So I, I guess the blanket assumption that the world isn't doing well. How does that serve me? I don't know that. I think a lot of people have benefited from remote work for for certain reasons. Many people haven't. And if they haven't, so here's some things to think about. Reestablishing those boundaries in our lives, right. and that scaffolding, but right. all that's the behavioral intervention, but also that cognitive intervention of why that's so hard to do, mm-hmm. even when I know I should do it. The reason it's important is the same reason that it's hard to do in that it's hard to make yourself do anything. And if you are relying constantly on willpower, it is, it is exhausting. And so that's where it, you know, the, this snippet mentions it used to be the culture does a great job of taking care of these things for us. We set up certain behaviors such that we don't have to think about whether right. they're going There's to happen. Scaffolding. Not, yep. right? Rebuilding that scaffolding individually is really difficult. And so what I would err on the side of is get back to the scaffolding as quickly as possible. Sure. My, uh, instinct in my intuition is based on seeing people function that very few people can create that scaffolding for themselves, including myself, who's a ninja at creating scaffolding. So if I can't do it and I'm getting the feedback from a whole bunch of people that it ain't going well, then my sense is that the default should be get back to the scaffolding first. Now, if you happen to be even better than Paul Shirley, at creating scaffolding for yourself, you might be doing fine. But the chances of that are so low that we might as well just address this as a sort of widespread issue and say, here's what you're going to do. You're not going to do any work at home. You're going to figure out how to go to a library or to a coffee shop. Like, Just take working from home off the table for most people. Now, again, there might be some people out there that it works for, but I just haven't seen it. It just doesn't seem to go very well for their brains. Because of this the effort required, not because there's anything wrong with them, because they're lazy, anything like that. It's just because it's hard for all people to have to each day go out and effectively build a building that is their schedule. That's just so hard. And so then it's, I think we're, we actually are like airing, well, like, well, turn, put on a timer and um, stop yourself at this time. Well, that requires setting the timer and then it requires like the willpower to actually behave according to the timer. Whereas if you go to a coffee shop that closes at 5 p.m. to do your work and they say, get the fuck out of here, that is a much more effective strategy for 90 percent of humans. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot around the and this is also my fear would be there's a kind of cultural drive by large corporations to make people think that they're going to be okay working from home because it's cheap for the corporation (laughs) to say like, Hey, this is going to be great for you. You can stay home. Now, by the way, we don't have to pay for an office and you're our slave for 12 hours a day. So I think there's some insidious things going on in the background that are keeping people 
feeling crazy where they're like, I'm really unhappy or I'm getting feedback from people around me that I don't seem to be doing well, but that means something's wrong with me. And that's not great. I don't want that for people. So I, I would rather err on the side of let's take care of as many people as we can, which means that for most people, you're going to need some of these exterior scaffoldings. Right. And short of forcing corporations to get everybody back to work and changing something at the global level, if that's not the reality at the moment, and it may be um, for some people, I think a lot more people are going back to work. Mm-hmm. What do we do? What do we have control or power over? And I think, yes, absolutely. What you talked about, that um, belief system that there's something wrong with me if this is hard. It's hard for everybody. And mm-hmm. yay, what an opportunity to look at what it, why it's hard. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's hard for me because I believe I have to be constantly open and well, no, available. Saying, or it's I'm hard for me because... Hard. I'm saying it's hard to build these structures in your absolutely. life every day. Yeah, I mean, totally. We kind of know why it's hard to work. Like that's it. Work I don't know is, unless you love what you're doing, right? Yeah, but it. But even even when you do love what you're doing, it's still difficult if you are just walking from your bed to your horse. It's really laptop. Difficult. Um, it that makes it you know now there's nothing to look forward to. Like I posted something recently about how the why of your work often comes from the who or the what or the where, mm-hmm. right? Like you can't rely on this uh, intrinsic motivation all the time. No. You have to rely on like, Oh, there's a guy that I like to talk to at my job and that's what gets me there. And then I remember, Oh yeah, I do like this job. Now we've, we've removed a lot of those other possible circumstances for people. And then that puts a lot of pressure on, well, I better love it for loving it. And that, that ain't how. Right. That no, works. absolutely not. So, but again, the more I always come back to what can we do? How can we be most empowered and mm-hmm. short of forcing everybody to go back to work or forcing corporations to make people go back to work? Which how can which is not going to happen? That's what I'm saying. Like, so give up on moving from bedroom to living room to do your work. Don't even try it. Yep. Make it. I'm I figured out that the library has this conference room and I'm going to go and Yep. Set up the scaffolding one time so that you can reuse it Yep. as opposed to each day having to build the scaffolding. Yes. Um, but we're still having <laughs> to build the scaffolding, right. which is important. Mm-hmm. But if you can reuse that scaffolding, it's a lot easier than having to build it every day. And so I think what people are going through is they're like, oh, geez, here we go again. Another of these days where I'm going to have to set the timers and all of these other go to things. Go the coffee shop or whatever. Right. Yeah. Well, the coffee shop is an example of external scaffolding that you could use every day. If you say Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I need to go to the coffee shop at 10 a.m. or whatever, that be- that becomes something that potentially can pull you into this behavior as opposed to you having to push yourself into the behavior every day. Yes. <laughs> what? Uh, so what do you think about what is it? What is a concrete strategy people can use? Yeah. I mean, again, from a behavioral perspective, how 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 we can make most motivating mm-hmm. things we have to do that we may not want to do if it's not inherently motivating in and of itself. So I love it. Yes. Going to the gym with somebody makes it a lot easier. Going to a coffee shop, if that's something you enjoy and that makes it feel better to do your work or you can talk to people and socializing is something that you enjoy. Awesome. Um, if If you have to set some timers, how can I then have a reward on the other side of that? Mm-hmm. All of that behavioral work, I think, is really important. And then right. as we're going through it, paying attention to why is this hard? 
Hey, again, it's hard on everybody. So I'm not going to beat myself up or I have, it's hard for me because if I can't get as much done as I want to during the day, it's because I'm lazy or I'm, you know, poor executive dysfunction or I have ADHD or whatever. Uh Uh-uh. Let's, A, it's hard for everybody. How is it not hard? How do I make things easier? How is it easier for me when I set up the scaffolding? What is the benefit to me? I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. And that's not a bad thing. What is the benefit? Right. Yes. Um, Okay, we're going to leave with one crazy question. Okay. (laughs) Not really a question. Morgan says, please talk about determining that things aren't working and actions taken when that is the case. How do you decide? Let me modify that question. How do you decide when something's not working, whether that is relationship or business? Whatever you want. (laughs) Your outcome measures are emotional state. Mm Mm-hmm. Unwanted behaviors, unpleasant emotional states, unwanted behaviors, anxious, exhausted, mm-hmm. sad, depressed, upset, discouraged. Right. That's that's a good alarm. Procrastination, avoidance, not being productive. Mm-hmm. So behaviorally, and so the like, sign that something's not working. So basically, determining is come up with sort of an objective record of whatever's not working and how it's not working. Yeah. because And that's the awareness piece. What am I feeling right now? Yeah. Am I just bored or am I really stressed out mm-hmm. all the time? Okay. So uh, maybe a specific example is how does someone decide whether to break up with somebody using that rubric of like, is it, do you start to think about, I mean, I've never, I mean, I've, any breakups I've gone through has always been much less objective than that. <laughs> okay. So you emotionally, Mm-hmm. Am I happy? Do I feel better? Am I in a right. calm state? Mm-hmm. Am I excited to see this person? Does this person, do I feel better about myself around this person? Do I feel comfortable around this person? Emotional states that would say not yeah. to break up. Opposite, right. maybe I should think about breaking up. Behaviorally, am I avoiding seeing this person? Am I making excuses not to see this person? Uh-huh. Am I picking fights with this person? Am I falling into judging everything that they're doing? Mm. Right. That's a, those are some good questions to use. Yeah. Save that for uh, snippets. When If any listener is l- thinking about ever going through a breakup again, use those that set of questions. <laughs> but I do think like thinking in terms of could you write down once a day, uh, here's the way that I... Somebody, uh, Megan, my friend Megan Down did a thing about moving to Los Angeles again, writing down each day how do I feel about LA today? And then noticing like, Oh, actually I'm loving it. Cause there's a lot of eights and nines here. <laughs> and similarly figuring out a way to, to check in at lunch, let's say every day, how do I feel about this person or this job or whatever it is such that it's not a, you're not being led around by the elephant Led around by the elephant or led around by all of your external information coming in. Mm-hmm. And that's going to bring me back to our original conversation of the reason why this is so hard for us. This awareness piece is we haven't been taught to pay attention or to trust what's going on for us emotionally mm-hmm. and to be able to look at behaviors that may not be serving us. And I love the checking in because mm-hmm. it forces us then to ask ourselves, hey, does this feel okay or not okay? Again, not about not being resilient or having to fight through it or toughen through it, but is this feeling okay or not? And why? Let me look at that. Mm -hmm. Ah, Full circle. Into it. Full circle achieved. Thank you, everybody, for gutting your way through. 
Katie and I disagreeing about everything today. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be back and it'll be holiday time and we'll talk about how that's going for both of us. I can't wait. Hey friends, Paul here. I really appreciate you listening. The executive producer of the Process podcast is Rich Berner. Music came to us courtesy of Kevin McLeod at incompetech.filmmusic.io. I'll talk to you again soon.